I kind of like that video. It comes from a series um, called The Four Christmases. And one of the, the hardest things that we have to do this time of year is remember, there's kind of a little phrase, right? You, you want to remember the reason for the season. The reason for Christmas. Because the season can get so hijacked from you. It can be taken from you. If you're not, if you're not diligent about what it is that we're doing, if you're not careful, it will be taken from you. The, the pressures around you will take it and move it in another direction. And it goes through the different, the different attitudes that people often have or portrayed in different ways, the way we approach Christmas. There are those that might be like Ebenezer Scrooge, that life is about what you can make it. It is about self-determination. It's about how hard you can work. It's about what you can accumulate. It's about how much power you have. It's about the name that you've made for yourself. Scrooge, in that story by Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol, Ebenezer Scrooge looks at all of the holidays, the festive, the, the charities, the giving and the loving, and he calls it all bah humbug. It, it's all meaningless. Life is meaningless. If you were to put a scriptural tie to that, this is, this is the, the, the voice that you hear from uh, Solomon in Ecclesiastes. Life is meaningless. It is a chasing after the wind, a vanity of vanities. All is meaningless. What is the point of life? Ebenezer Scrooge asks those questions and he goes through a transformation. There are those of us, of course, that see Christmas, this time of year, the festive colors, the, the caroling. We see it as an opportunity to, to bolster our economic foundations. We buy more than we should. We, our newspapers are filled with circulars about things that are on sale, things that you can buy, things that you need that you never even knew you needed until you saw it. It becomes a time of shopping. It's a time of trying to figure out how do I get the right gift for the right person even though I don't really know them that well. It's about sending cards. It's about the economy of, of, of transactional life. How much of our lives are determined by what we give back, give and take, that you live in relationships because of the gifts that you give and the gifts that you receive in return. The third kind that is promoted is often the time of, of Santa, that mythical time, this, this longing for some greater power out there that is, that is overshadowing it all, that Santa sees who you are, he's, right, he's checking his list, um, finding who's naughty or nice, but have you ever really known anybody on Santa's list that Santa was disappointed with? All of the children, all of us, make the positive list. No matter how you've lived, no matter how much you've done, no matter how little you've done or how you haven't really kept your vows or what you've done or not done, Santa, in the end, kind of covers it all over. And now the big thing is, is uh, the elf on a shelf. Have you heard that? Maybe your kids, your grandkids, maybe you do it. Where there's this little elf that sits, you know, this little figurine. And, and we help the kids believe that this little figurine over the evening will move around the house unseen and give them little gifts. Everything is about what we can get out of life, the gifts that we can get out of life. What is it that is for us? But really, is that Christmas? Is that really what Christmas is all about? Is that what it was meant to be? 
Maybe in the process of the real story of, of God coming to us to give us a different story, a different life, a, a new pathway, to unlock the prison that we find ourselves in and give us new light for a dark and weary world. Maybe that has become hijacked by our desire to kind of dumb down the message of what God is doing. And so this morning, as we draw away from that busy world, you are here this morning to try and recapture that story for yourselves, for you or for your family. The season of Advent is a season of preparation. It's both a mental as well as a spiritual time of drawing away from that hectic pace, of recognizing these are the forces that are coming against you. And the question is, is how often do we yield to those pressures? Do we become, we go down that pathway? Maybe not intentionally, but because of every, the crowd is moving in that direction and we just follow along with them. So this morning I wanted to talk about how we can prepare ourselves for the coming of the true Christmas in our lives. How do we look at the, the people that, that played a part in that story? How did they understand what God was doing? This is a brand new thing. God had never done this before. And I imagine if God is doing a new thing, how do we respond to the new things that are happening in our lives? Do we look at them and say, well, God would never use somebody like me? Do you think Mary and Joseph, do you think the shepherds and the innkeepers of our lives, do you think that they ever ask themselves, God would never come knocking on my door? That's always for somebody else. But what if, what if God did come knocking on your door, invited you into a bigger story? What if you were placed, you were born into this place and this time for a very specific reason known only to God alone. What is your story? And so we draw away in the season of Advent to try and understand our role in this story. Because I believe at our core, all of you sitting here this morning have a role to play in this Advent story. I really do believe that you have a part to play. We're not just observers of history. We're not just observers of a great story that was written down and that we repeat. It's an invitation to take up your part in the story, to take up your part in the journey, the discovery, the, the awe and the wonder that is happening not just 2,000 years ago in a cave in Bethlehem, but in your lives here in Mineral Wells, that the Christ child is coming into our world. And so this morning, I wanted to talk about one of the, the central characters in this story, the character Joseph. We don't know a lot about Joseph. Joseph is somewhat of an enigma. We don't really know much about where he came from or why his story does not linger in the Gospels. The Gospels don't share a lot more about Joseph after Jesus' birth and after he grows up. And so he's an interesting character, and especially in that time and place, as he's betrothed to be married uh, to Mary. The betrothal was that engagement period when the, the groom was to go and prepare a place for his bride, a, a home. So I can imagine that over the months that he was preparing a, a home for Mary, he's constantly thinking about the time and building a, a life together. And then all of a sudden, all of those preparations are shattered when God interrupts life. And the challenge for him to try and understand his role in that story. 
Have you ever had that experience where God, you have your own life plan, this is the way I see my life working out, and all of a sudden, God interrupts your plans? This is your story. This is Joseph's story. And I like the way particularly Matthew begins this in in the first chapter of Matthew's Gospels. He introduces the story uh, of Jesus' birth. Matthew is writing primarily to a Jewish audience, and so he begins his narrative with a long line of of ancestry, of genealogy, of who begat who. And I didn't want to to read that all to you, but at the very beginning, there's a huge list of of background. And, And what Matthew is really trying to do is he's trying to set the stage for the readers of saying, this is your legacy, As you as a reader are entering, this is the story that has always been playing out. This is your story. And we join a long line of of worshipers, of of people of this church, of this community, and we enter into their story, this constant expression of our values and our principles. So as I begin, I'm going to be reading from the 18th chapter of, of Matthew, as he begins after the the long line of genealogy to introduce for what Matthew says is the central character. He doesn't begin with Mary. He begins with Joseph. Matthew writes, So this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had, what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is the word of God for the people of God. In our, own, in our own culture, when somebody usually, whenever you, somebody makes an announcement uh, at, at church and they, they tell you that they're expecting a child or they're expecting a grandchild, there's a couple of things people want to know right away. Usually they're so excited that, that a child is coming into the family, it's going gonna, it's gonna to transform that young couple, it's going to transform the family, there's going to be aunts and uncles, grandparents, everybody is excited for that moment. But usually, as time goes on, they begin to ask two fundamental questions. They usually want to know, right, is it a boy or a girl? What should we prepare for? Should we prepare for blue or pink? What are we going to get? What kind of things do we want to get? And we often want to know, do you have a name? Because names mean something. Last names mean something. Last names become part of a heritage. You enter a long history, depending on what your name is. Depending on how you are named, whatever that may be, you become part of a family history. A lot of people are spending a lot of money these days 
um, looking up their genealogy. You can go online now and, and spend money and, and find out, going all the way back, finding out what your ancestors did, where they came from. How long have they been here in West Virginia? Where did they come from? Did they come from the old country? What is the old country? What does that mean? We look for our history. We're asking always the question, where do I belong? Where do I belong in the story? And oftentimes you will find people that, that have been adopted, even though they may love and embrace their adoptive parents, they're always asking, but where do I come from? What, what is my story? And so as we open up the Gospel of Matthew, we find that the Gospel writers is, are using a lot of names. They're, they're using names to try to identify and place this story in the flow of history. And so I wanted to spend a little bit of time looking at the names that are used here, that the gospel writers use intentionally to try and draw us into that bigger story. Now, the most obvious one is the, the one that you hear right away, Joseph. The, the angel comes to Joseph. Joseph is pledged to be married. Joseph seems to us to be a very common name, but I like the way that the, the angel identifies who Joseph is. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take a Mary as your wife. Now, is David Joseph's father? Initial father? No. As a matter of fact, it says in the verse just prior to this that his immediate father, his, his immediate father, is who? Does anybody know? Jacob. It tells us that Jacob begat Joseph, who was the father. Okay, so we, we notice that whenever the angel comes and says, David, Joseph, son of David, he is hearkening back to his ancestral line, to his history, to his ancestry, to, to the golden days, the ancestor of Israel, that something special is happening. So oftentimes that we talk with people, especially in our churches, the hardest thing that we have to do is help people understand that their life is not a mistake, that they are of royal blood. What he is trying to inspire Joseph is say, Joseph, you are of a kingly line. You are of a prophetic line. And therefore, you should live not as just Joseph the carpenter in an out-of-the-way, no-account place in Nazareth, but you should live as the royal leader that you are. And the angel is calling him out of the darkness into a royal story. And I find that so often many of us need to hear that voice again. We need to believe that we have a royal blood coursing through our veins. What difference does it make to you that you may have been of a royal line, that you have that dignity and that honor and a, and a great purpose in your life? Joseph is the son of David. But if you go back in history, you'd notice that Joseph, the name Joseph is often used in many other different ways. Joseph was the 11th son of, of Rebekah, Born of Rebecca, you remember that this, that, what? Rachel, sorry, thank you. I knew it was an R name, thank you. And now I'm off course. 
First of Rachel, thank you. But it was in that story that we find that Joseph is then, this, this son is then sold into slavery in Egypt. And through neglect, through, through injustice and isolation and abandonment, Joseph eventually perseveres and rises to prominence in Egypt and eventually saves his, his family. So when we call Joseph, we are also hearkening back to that narrative of how God used Joseph in the Old Testament to save his people. And the question is, is will he do it again? Will Joseph rise to that place despite all of the hardships, despite all of the, the indignity that he is about to endure? Will he be able to rise above all of that? Rise above all of the ridicule? Because what is about to un be unleashed on Joseph is beyond our imagination. In a culture that is very shame-oriented, that they keep people in line by ostracizing and by shaming them into the right paths, Joseph is choosing to go down a path of being ostracized by his community. He's going to embrace a woman that is pregnant by some very unusual, very unorthodox means. And that means that for the rest of their lives, there will always be the whispers, there will always be the voices, there will always be the finger pointing. That Joseph rising up and being a prominent member of that city, of that community, of, of being somebody of, of dignity, of worth, of rising up and saying, this is what I have made of my life, is really primarily gone for him. People will always be whispering about the story about how Jesus really came about and about Mary and about perhaps a little bit of infidelity. But Joseph is the son of David. He is part of a kingly line. And, and David was a man after God's own heart. And so Joseph is hearkening back. Joseph, are you a man after your own heart? We gather here on Christmas. And, and here's the thing is we gather here on Advent. And we even gather here in the middle of August when there isn't all of this fanfare. And the question still sits in your lap saying, are you a man or a woman after God's own heart? Do you have royal blood coursing through your veins too? This is your Christmas story. This is the real hard truth about what Christmas is. Of course, the second voice that comes is as the angel begins to explain to Joseph what is happening in, in life, it tells us that you're going to have a son and you're going to call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You understand that not only are you going to call him Jesus, but that this child has, has a purpose in, in life to transform the nation. You recognize that Jesus comes from the Hebrew word Yeshua, which means to save. It's the word for Joshua in the Old Testament. But Jesus has come into the world with a very distinct purpose and a distinct mission. We find that Jesus in the, in the New Testament is often talked in terms of authority. The word Jesus, the name of Jesus. In the New Testament, it's talked about when you are baptized, you are baptized into the name of Jesus. As a matter of fact, when a cripple comes to when 
Peter and John are going to the temple to pray. And they come across the cripple, and he says, can you give me some money? He said, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I will give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus. So all of a sudden, the name has a power, and it has authority. When we pray, at the end of our prayers, how do we end our prayers? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let it be so. In Jesus' name has authority for us. The name has a sense of power and a sense of dignity. There is power in that name. The name of Jesus also has a sense of healing. We pray and we lay hands that in the name of Jesus, that at the name of Jesus, every knee on heaven and on earth will bow and confess. There's a sense in which when we come together, that name has a special place in our lives. That whenever we talk as Christians, as brothers and sisters, the name of Jesus has both a healing and an authority among us. We are all on the same level. No matter how much money you have, no matter what your job title is, all of us have become and have decided to become servants at the name of Jesus. That child is coming into the world. And then ultimately we find that because of the name of Jesus, there is a sense of community. You see, you you have to understand that in the Old Testament, community was fractured, right? There were the Jews, there were the Gentiles, there were the slave, the free, there was male and female, and they would not mix. They were of different categories, different status. Were Were you a Pharisee or were you a Sadducee? Which of the groups did you belong to? How do I categorize you? Were you part of the aristocracy? Or were you the poor? Were you the peasants? But Paul understands that because of this Christmas experience, because of this, all of that is now fused together. That Jesus takes this fractured plate, if you will, and glues them back together into something far more glorious As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians says, in Christ there is no Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. We are all one in Christ. We are one body. And therefore, all of us have a role to play in this community. By virtue of being part of this church family, you have a role to play. You're not here just as part of the audience. You're part of the process. You're part of the community that is unfolding. You're part of the new life that Christmas provides for us. So that in the name of Joseph, we know that we have royal blood in our veins. We are part of that body of Christ, that we have nobility. Through, Through Jesus, we understand we have a mission, we have a purpose, we have a light that is growing in our lives. But he goes on and says, not only are you going to call him Jesus, but he hearkens back to the prophet And he said, you will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. He's comparing these two. Jesus, who will save us from our sin, and Emmanuel, God is with us, with us. No longer distant, no longer separate, no longer isolated, but that God will dwell among us in our place. Now, in the Old Testament, we understood that when the Hebrews left Egypt and they lived in tents, 
that the presence of God was represented through a cloud during the day and fire at night. But it was in the Holy of Holies. We could not approach. We could not be with. We could only look upon from a distance. And I believe that today, even today, there are many people in our own community that do not feel worthy enough to come and occupy these pews. What does that mean to you? That there are people in our world that do not yet feel worthy to come and be in God's presence. Have they not heard? Have they not experienced the wonders of Christmas for themselves? That God came to us, that God, Emmanuel, is with us. God came to where we are to draw us to where he is. So that you, as the body of Christ, you carry that light into that world. But what happens for those that will not go? That we refuse sometimes to go into those dark places of the world and to shine that light and that hope and transform that world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul writes, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? That when Christmas comes to us, that that Advent moment, that, that time of nativity is happening in our lives every Sunday that we get to relive that Christmas spirit, not just in December, but all throughout the year. That Emmanuel is with us. Every Sunday we celebrate God is with us. Sometimes we can forget and sometimes our, our faith can get hijacked by busy schedules and by other priorities. And yet God is always calling us back, always inviting us back into that relationship And so what does that mean for us this Christmas? Well, part of my journey is to ask all of us, which of those four best describes your Christmas spirit this year? Do you sometimes feel like Scrooge? You kind of get depressed by what's happening in in our culture, in our media, on the the TV. People are attacking one another. That you just want to look at the world and say, bah humbug. Let's just start all over. Do you feel that maybe you can make everybody's life better by buying them the latest and the greatest toys that you see? Things that they really don't want or they really don't need or things that they won't remember. Or maybe you feel like Santa. You want to believe in the magic and the mystery of of an elf on the shelf. You want to believe that there's little characters that are working behind the scenes to give you whatever you want whenever you want it. Or maybe you you are at that place where you're sitting there this morning just wondering, why did God come? Who am I? Who are you that God is mindful of you? Who are you that God is coming to you? And the challenge for us is to ask, is your door open or has it been closed? Have you bolted the door? Have you locked it so that There are no more challenges, there are no more surprises, there are no more expectations. I think Joseph left the door open, and God walked in and said, Joseph, not son of Jacob, not just part of Nazareth, but son of David, remember your legacy, remember your history, remember who you are. I think all of us need to remember who we are, who God is calling us to be what our story is. 
Christmas invites you into that story. It invites you into that, that moment and say, what is God doing in my life? What seeds are being planted? What invitations are being offered? What challenges are convicting you to go beyond where you are and explore your royal blood? This Advent, I hope that you'll take advantage of all of those opportunities, the devotionals that we have, the online uh, opportunities that we have to go deeper, to dig below the surface of just candy canes and Christmas trees, to go beyond and to understand that God would go this far to get to know who you are and reveal who you are. So this Christmas, invite God into your, your family, invite him into your traditions, invite him into the moments and experience the wonder of what your name really is. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we gather this morning, we give you thanks. Help us remember who we are and what we can become. Help us, we pray, to always experience you anew. Help us to accept the legacy of this long line of saints and sages and sinners alike that have found hope in Christ. And when we doubt, we ask that you continue to use us, draw us from our hiding place into a beautiful, bright, wonderful light that is in Christ. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.